So when I was in my 20s, I worked as a lecturer at the University of Liverpool in their computer science department. And it was a really interesting time to be around computers back then because the internet was developing and computer power was at that point where you could start to do really interesting things with that computer power. And one of the things that a colleague of mine was doing at the time was that they were working on something called neural networks, which is basically a way of getting the computer to mimic how the brain works in order to provide solutions to problems. You see, in the past, you'd get people who were experts in statistics and you'd get mathematicians to come and try and solve for a problem. But what computer scientists were doing back then is they were just throwing a load of data at the computer and asking the computer to use, basically, basically mimic the brain, I suppose, in order to try and come up with a solution to a problem that it didn't otherwise know. So you're throwing data at it. And what was happening then was machine learning. So it was the very early stages of that. And basically the way that works is, or the way this type of machine learning works anyway, this type of artificial intelligence, is that you throw a load of data at it and it then comes up with a whole host of random calculations. And what it does is it puts a weighting on each different factor. So it'll say, well, suppose this bit of, this part of the information is important but I'm going to suppose that this part isn't. And it kind of weights it accordingly. And it just creates a whole host initially of these random algorithms, these random sets of weightings and calculations. And then what it does is it checks out which of those was the best. And it starts to use evolutionary theory to kind of kill off those algorithms, those weightings that put it further away from the truth. And then it'll generate some more random ones and some mutations. It'll go through another cycle of it. And then by the end of it, what it's got is some sort of workable solution to the problem that you're looking at. So just to give a very basic example, the machine will know nothing about this at all. But let's say, let's say you were looking at, um, <clears throat> you know, the machine has to understand who gets through a door and who doesn't. And so you might give it lots of data. You might say, well, this is what colour hair they've got. This is what height they've got. These are the clothes that they were wearing. This was the weather at the time. This is whether or not they had a key. And so the computer won't have any idea which of those factors is relevant. But it'll go through the data and it'll create these random algorithms and it'll say, well, I'll create an algorithm that supposes that what the weather was like is important. And that algorithm will also suppose that whether or not they've got a key makes no difference at all. And then over time, it'll work out that actually the weather is not so important. And it'll finally figure out through these kind of mutations, getting closer and closer to the truth each time, that actually the thing which is the best algorithm is the one that puts a lot of focus on whether or not you've got a key. So that's really how it works. Now, as a football fan, I had this idea that I wonder what would happen if I could 
get the computer to learn independently how to predict football results. And so that's what I did. You know, I, I got a huge load of data um, that I bought from uh, this kind of sports data company. And I created a data set of all this these data inputs that represented the home team, all these data inputs that represented the away team. And I put them into a big database and I threw it at the neural network. And then in just the same way, what the neural network started to do is it started to create a whole load of algorithms. Well, what if this bit was the important bit? What if I didn't place too much weight on that? So it started doing that kind of job and crunching the numbers and finally came up with some sort of way of understanding, even though it was only a computer that didn't actually really appreciate what it was solving for, it still came up with some answer, which was capable of making a half-decent prediction, really, in terms of what football scores would be. Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because it relates very strongly to how our own brains work. And now the only way that a neural network on a computer can work, this kind of machine learning that I'm talking about, that I was around, you know, in my 20s, is if you also have a piece of data that gives the machine some feedback. So if the computer predicts, for instance, that Arsenal are going to score two goals, the only way that the machine is going to learn is if you tell it whether or not Arsenal did score two goals. So it has to have this feedback information that tells it what actually went on in order for it to know whether its prediction was accurate or not. And it's only when it knows whether its prediction is accurate or not that it can then go back into that loop in order to adjust all its algorithms and try and come up with something which is going to be more accurate next time. The only way that you can train the computer's neural network is if you actually give it some feedback where you can say to the computer, no, you were wrong there, computer. This is the actual answer. If you don't have that element in it, it can never learn. It has to have that feedback data. Otherwise, it'll just spin around in circles forever. The reason why this is important is because our brains are actually prediction machines. So a lot of people will assume that what our brains are doing is reacting to stuff. And it does to an extent, but what it's actually doing is monitoring what's going on in the world. And I suppose what's going on in our body as well, in order to try and create a prediction of what will happen next. And so this analogy of trying to train this computer in order to be able to predict football results is a good analogy for how our brain operates as well. Our brain is constantly trying to figure out well, what's, what's going to happen next. The example I often use is if you were to suddenly stand up, your brain actually needs to have already made some changes in your body to make sure that by the time you suddenly stood up, you don't faint. And so the brain has to be very aware of the subtle signs of various muscles tensing in your body so that it thinks, ah, 
this this feels like he's going to stand up. Because if it didn't get that right, if it was just reacting to the fact that you'd stand up, it wouldn't have made those changes in the body which ensured that you don't kind of feel lightheaded or faint or whatever. It has to start moving the blood around the body in a different way if it thinks that you're about to stand up. And so your brain is constantly predicting. Just like if you're on a walk and then, I don't know, a, a big gang of people kind of come round the corner, your brain is monitoring them. But it's monitoring them and finding them significant because it's trying to predict whether or not they're going to be dangerous to you or not. And so your brain is constantly trying to predict things. Now, when it comes to things that we'll often suffer with and struggle with. And I'm thinking here in particular anxiety. What the brain is actually doing is trying to learn in your environment much the same thing that my computer was trying to learn. It's trying to figure out a prediction. And it's also trying to figure out if that prediction is accurate or not. And so you'll know how this feels in terms of anxiety. There'll be some sort of cue from the outside world. Your body will then start reacting to it with that high energy feel, you know, the heart racing, the, the, the feeling of butterflies in the stomach, all of that kind of stuff. And this is your body saying, ah, I've just had a cue and I'm predicting that you need to be in a state that is already prepared to enable you to fight a danger or run away from it. That is what that means in your body. Now, you might not actually even notice the cue yourself. You know, this subtle algorithm that's working in terms of your own neural network has already been developed. And so you, you might not even notice the cue. It can be quite subtle sometimes, but you'll certainly notice that feeling in your body where it's high energy, butterflies in the stomach, maybe sweating a little bit, maybe the heart has increased. And that is actually a sign of your brain making a prediction that you might actually need those physical resources pretty soon in order to run away from something or to fight. But that is all it is. It's a prediction. And so the reason why I've given you this analogy of trying to predict the football scores and having that feedback loop that makes it necessary and makes it possible for the neural network to make better predictions about how many goals Arsenal score. It's because you can do the same as well when you notice in your body the prediction that your brain has made. That when this high energy thing comes up in your body, that you actually go, ah, oh, okay. So this is my brain. This is just a sign that my brain is predicting that I am going to need these resources in the next few minutes. And what that allows you to do if you view the sensations as uncomfortable as they can be in your body in that particular way. Ah, my brain is predicting that I'm going to need these resources in the next few moments. You can actually do what my feedback data was doing. You can actually make that decision yourself. You can actually have a look around and say, well, no, I'm not in any danger and I don't need these. I don't need to run. 
I don't need to fight. And you can provide that feedback loop yourself. Now, what often happens in anxiety is we'll have something that I sometimes refer to as the fear of the fear, the anxiety about the anxiety. And so these high energy feelings come up in the body and the butterflies and the heart racing. And what we do is we notice that and rather than saying, oh, I see my brain is predicting that I'm going to need these resources in the next few moments. What we'll do is we'll get frightened about those feelings. We'll say things like, oh, no, I'm going to faint or, oh, no, I'm going to make a show of myself or, oh, no, everyone's going to look at me. Or whatever story we come up with, which is a scary story. That scary story about the feelings is what I often refer to as the fear of the fear, the anxiety about the anxiety. Now, what that does is even though you're not in any danger in that moment, like if you were to monitor that situation, what it does when we have that scary story about the feelings in our body, we validate the wonky prediction so that even though we could actually look at this and say, well, no, I'm not in any danger. A saber-toothed tiger hasn't just walked in. I don't need to fight. I don't need to run away here. Even though we can kind of, you know, any objective look in our environment would say that we're still kind of, we're, we're still in a safe place here. We don't need to fight. We don't need to run away. Even when that's the case, once we tell ourselves the, the scary story and, and attached to that scary story, it's providing a validation of the brain's wonky prediction. So we feel the feelings. We get that sense, oh, okay, I've got these feelings. My brain is predicting that I'm going to need these resources. And then when I tell myself something scary, it says to the brain, you are right. This is scary. And so you end up developing a loop. And that loop basically keeps giving you more of the anxiety. And so I wanted to give you this analogy of, did Arsenal actually score two goals or did they not? Because the moment that you are able to intercept your scary story with a different story, it retrains the brain's prediction. So instead of attaching to the scary story, if you can notice the scary story and say, oh, hang on, it's not that. I'm actually fine here. What's going on here is that my brain has made a wonky prediction, but I am actually safe. When I look around, I am, obje I am objectively safe. When you can do that, what happens is, is it retrains the brain's prediction. So whatever cue was in that environment, and you might know what it is, but you might not know what it is, that made the brain predict that you were going to need these resources in your body that feel like the increased heart rate and the butterflies and the sweating and all that sort of stuff. When the brain has found a cue that, that means that it gives you all that to try and prepare you because it's made a prediction that you need those resources. Once you break free of the scary story, it's your way of saying to the brain, no, 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 I didn't need those resources. 
you got that prediction wrong. And it's only when we do that that we can start to help our own machine learning come up with better predictions. It's only by creating a more matter-of-fact story that we're able to teach ourselves where those anxious feelings are helpful and where they're not. And so what I'm inviting you to do here is whenever your body increases the energy level, whenever your body ensures that you have higher heart rate or butterflies in your tummy or sweating or all of those kind of things that you associate with anxiety. What I'm inviting you to do is to tell a different story, a much more matter-of-fact story, not the one that says that you're having a heart attack or you're about to faint or everyone's going to be looking at you, not the one that kind of agitates and validates that prediction of, yeah, you were right, this was this is scary. But a story instead that is much more matter-of-fact, a story instead that connects to the feelings in your own body and checks them out, that simply understands that if this increased energy is going on in your body, what it means and all that it means is that your brain has made a prediction that you need these resources, but actually you don't. And the more that you're able to intercept with that story, the more that you will do what I was able to do with my football scores and say to the neural network, actually you were wrong, Arsenal didn't score two goals. They scored this amount of goals instead. Because if I didn't give that feedback to my neural network on my computer, it could never have gotten to better predictions about football results. And in the same way, if we don't teach our own bodies and our brains that the prediction it's made is a wonky one, then it won't learn either. So that's my advice. And I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. I'm saying it's something like a muscle to practice, to kind of check out the story and intercept it, to kind of view the increased feelings in your body as simply a sign that your brain has made a prediction that you are going to imminently need those resources to either run away or fight something. And if you look around and realise that there's nothing to run away from, and there's nothing that you need to fight, then you can simply tell the story that your brain has just made a wonky prediction. Just like it might sometimes make a wonky prediction about, are you going to stand up? And it might give you those resources even when you're not standing up at all. When it thinks that you might need to run or might need to fight, it's going to give you these feelings in your body. And it's just the brain making a prediction that you need those resources. So your job then in terms of changing your prediction, in terms of retraining yourself out of anxiety, retraining your own neural network to understand that whatever cue that it's spotted 
is not a sign of danger. Is to tell that different, very matter-of-fact story. That, okay, brain, I know from the signs in my body that you've predicted I need these resources, but I've checked it out and I don't stand down. So I hope this is useful to you. If it is, please pass it on so that others can get the benefit as well. It's really, really powerful once you're able to kind of do that. And it does come with practice. If you'd like to work with me directly, I'm Alan Parry. And you can find out more at liverpoolpsychotherapy.co.uk. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, please do. It's completely free wherever you get your podcasts. And if you prefer to watch them on videos, then just go to asliceoftherapy.com and you can find the YouTube channel. So thanks for listening. Hope it's been useful. And I'll be back again tomorrow with another.